Good morning. Good to see you this morning. You're looking good, by the way. In case somebody hadn't told you yet this morning, you're looking good. Y'all doing okay? I don't know about you, but I'm ready for all the sickness and stuff just to go away and be done. Let the sun shine and us all be well. How about? That would be a good thing. Let me ask you this question this morning. How many of you would say, I'm living the good life? Honestly, I'm, I think I'm pretty well living the good life. Let me see your hands. I'm living the good life. All right. I'm not qualifying. I'm not defining that yet, right? Uh, but, yeah, I'm living a good life. Well, if, uh, if you do define it the way James defines it, the way we're going to look at this morning, it means that you're living with biblical wisdom in your life and humility. That's how James defines it. That's the good life. I think our Western culture has a definition of the good life that might be a lot different than what the definition of, of God's word says about the good life. Um, I thought I would show you a picture of somebody this morning. It's kind of a sad picture to show you, but uh, I want to show you the picture of this, this man right here. Uh, this is Ken and Billy Medlock. Many of you know and remember Ken and Billy. I love them very, very much. I've known them my whole life. And uh, sadly, we had to bury Ken yesterday. He passed away this past week, and he was buried yesterday. But as I was thinking about somebody who lived a good life, somebody who had biblical wisdom with humility, I think about that man and that woman. They are beautiful people. We love them very, very much. They were part of Temple Church for decades and decades, my whole life. I remember them. And then they helped us at South City get going, and we so are appreciative of that and love them very much and have been grieving with them over the last week at least, if not more, uh, after Ken's stroke and then his burial yesterday. So if you would, would you remember that family and pray for Billy and, and the kids, Connie and Keith and, and the rest of the family? But when I think about this kind of wisdom, when I think about this kind of biblical uh, lifestyle that is a good life, I think about Ken. He was a good man. He honored the Lord with his life, and uh, he will be greatly, greatly missed. Well, we've been in this series called Counterfeit Faith. Uh, it's a series in the book of James where it's real simple and it's real clear that James is, is speaking to his congregation throughout, scattered throughout Judea uh, from persecution. They've been scattered, and he's speaking to some real issues in the church. Evidently, there's some conflict going on in the church. There's some problems going on in the church. And what's interesting is, hey, guess what? There's problems going on in every church. So his letter doesn't only pertain to that group of people, but it pertains to me and you, doesn't it? And to every believer in Jesus. And what's beautiful about the book of James is it really helps us get a focus on who do I need to be? Like, what do I need to do with my life? It's not just about what I say with my voice or my tongue. It's not just about what label I place over my life. I'm a believer in Jesus. No, it's about the walk that I walk. It's about the decisions that I make. It's about the deeds that I do. That's what makes me an authentic believer in Jesus, hopefully. And that, so we've had all these different tests that James has kind of lined out for us. He's, he's showing us all these different things about, you know, if you do this, you know, is that you? Are you living this way? It's been very, very good. Just last week, we talked about the fact that not everybody should teach. Uh, evidently, there were a lot of people that had a lot of opinions and thought they ought to get up and teach. And so James is sort of speaking of that. Hey, listen, not everybody should teach because teachers will be held to a higher account. They will be, they will be accountable for what they say and all that they do in, in a different accounting system. So beware, not everyone should teach. But he says everyone should watch what they say. 
We talked about the power of the tongue last week and how in this little fleshy thing in my mouth is the power of life and death. It's a very powerful thing that we, we have with the words that we say. And unfortunately, the people that we love the most typically are the ones that get hurt the most by the things that we say from our mouths. We have to be so careful with our tongues. And this week, we're going to talk about the fact that James is kind of laying out for us two really clear paths. He's going to lay out very, two very clear paths that we can take. One is the path of, of, of knowing that we're in control, right? I'm my own God. I'm my own boss. Nobody tells me what to do. And in fact, I'm just going to go my own way. It's the whole Frank Sinatra, I did it. My, I'm not going to do it. I did a little bit of it, but you get it, right? I did it my way. I lived life my way. This was all about me. And if I'm going to trust wisdom or anything like that, it's going to come from the world's wisdom. Whatever the kind of the going wisdom is, I'll just do that. And I'm going to, it's all about me. This is my story. The world revolves around me and my happiness right now. That's one path. Or you could take God's path where it's the opposite direction. And we say, you know what? Life's not about me. Life's not about me. It's about God. This is his story. It's not my story. And I'm created to bring him glory and to serve him however he chooses for me to serve. That's the path I want to encourage you to take. But we're going to see this morning in, in James' message how tempting it is to follow ourselves, to follow our own wisdom. Well, we're going to really learn that it's not our own wisdom. It's actually the enemy's wisdom. If we're not following God's wisdom, we're following the enemy, right? And so this morning, turn in your Bible with me to James chapter 3. I'm going to be reading this morning from the NIV version for our main te text. I just like the way the translation read this, this week. So this is James 3, 13 through 18. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from freedom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, air quotes, such wisdom comes not uh, down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Then verse 18 says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Pastor James' uh, message to us about wisdom. God, would you give us the courage and the ability to, to decipher what's going on in our own lives and our own minds and our own backgrounds. And God, would you help us to choose your way, to choose your wisdom, to understand it and to live for you, God, and to allow you to, to work through our lives and to do it all, Lord, in humility. God, would you move in our hearts today and let your word come alive in us and change us before we leave this place today. In your precious name. Amen. Well, the first part of our message this morning is going to be James defining wisdom for us. He asks his congregation, he says, hey, who among you is wise or understanding? In other words, wisdom and understanding, are going to go, they're going to go together. There's going to be some wisdom and understanding, they're kind of a similar kind of a thing. And he asks the congregation, who, who is it among you that's wise and understanding? Who is that? 
And then he kind of gives us a definition of this, how you can tell. Here's how you can tell who's wise and understanding. He says, if they're people who live the good life, if they're living a life of good deeds with humility, those are wise and understanding people. He kind of defines it for us right out of the shoot. This is how you can tell. They're going to be wise people live God-honoring lives with humility. Wise people leave God, live God-honoring lives with humility. That's who they are. You can see it. You're going to know who they are because it's very evident in their lives, their actions, their behavior. And they're going to do it with meekness. They're going to do it with gentleness. They're going to do it with humility. That's going to be who they are. I think if somebody has this kind of wisdom, what they're saying is, I know life is not about me, right? If you have that kind of wisdom, if you don't have to be the life of the party, if you don't have to have the last word, if you don't have to walk into a room and suck all the air out of the room, it's okay. You know life's not about you. You can walk in humility. You can serve. You know that it's not about your name or your agenda or your whatever. It's about Jesus and however he chooses to use your life. That's what wisdom can be. But how many of us so often we, we do the opposite, don't we? I, I want to be remembered. I want you to know my name. I want to I rise to the top. And God, help us to follow your wisdom instead of these thoughts of our own. So here's a good question. What is wisdom? What really is wisdom? And I thought this morning, if we were going to answer that question, we probably ought to ask the expert, right? Who's the expert in wisdom, do you think? Anybody? Solomon? Is that what you said? Yeah, Solomon. Remember Solomon was given the choice, what, what, what do you want? He could have chosen riches or military might or all these different things. He said, I want wisdom. And God gave him all the wisdom that he could ever need. In fact, the Bible says he was the wisest man that ever lived and will ever live. So let's look at what Solomon has to say. One thing I know about Solomon, he says, if you don't value wisdom, he calls you a fool. Look at, at Proverbs 1.8, right? In the, in the Old Testament, we have these wisdom books. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. This is where he's just pouring out his wisdom for us. First chapter, verse 8. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It says if you don't value wisdom, what it means to live a good life, what it means to have things go well for you in the design of God, if you don't want to know about that, if you don't want to be instructed in that way, you're a fool. He doesn't waste any time, does he? He says, follow the wisdom of God. I love how uh, Solomon in, in chapter 8, he personifies wisdom. It's really beautiful. It's a very kind of a beautiful literary poetic kind of a thing to do. In other words, what he does is he places wisdom in the voice uh, of a first person, of, of a woman, Almost crying out. Wisdom is crying out for you to, to obey and to listen. Look, look with me in verse 32 of chapter 8. It says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Watch this one. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. 
Again, Solomon's wasting no time telling us what he really thinks about wisdom and people who, who value wisdom. I think this is so strong. It says, if you find me, if you find wisdom in your life and you value it, you have found life. You can have the life that God wants for you to have. But if you don't worry about it, you don't value it, you don't care about wisdom, Solomon says you're going to injure yourself. <laughs> I like the way he puts that. You're going to injure yourself. This is not going to go well for you. And ultimately, it's going to end in death. It's clear the way that uh, Solomon has explained to us what wisdom is and why it's a valuable thing to understand and live by. So we have the, the wisdom books in the Old Testament from Solomon. And then James is considered the wisdom book of the New Testament. And what James is saying here in chapter 3 is that if you're going to be wise you're going to be a people of understanding and you're going to have a visible life of doing good things with humility, right? That's how you're going to do it. It's not just about what you do, it's about how you do it. There's going to be a humble nature in, what you're do, in which you're doing it. Look at verse 14. It says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. This is where he kind of turns the corner. And what I love about James, we've talked about this, Pastor James loves his people. And, and I see this not as a condemnation, but as a warning, another warning. He's trying to hold up the mirror going, hey, is this you? If this is you, let me tell you where this is headed. If this is you, beware. People, pe please beware. If this is in your heart, please pay attention because it's leading you to a place you don't want to go. It's a very loving rebuke and, and warning. And he says at the very beginning here, he says, if you harbor these things, it's an interesting word. It's a sailing word. And of course, many of you know what it means. In the days when that's the way you got around places from, from port to port, if your ship or boat or whatever was out at sea and a storm came up, you're going to worry that that ship is going to break up. You're going to sink. You're going to drown. And so when you're in a storm, the first thing you want to do is find a, a safe harbor, a place where your ship can park, if you will, in a safe place where they won't, the waves won't be as bad or maybe you'll be able to weather the storm. What he's saying is if you allow bitter envy or jealousy and selfish ambition to park in your heart, if you allow safe harbor, if you allow them to park or be uh, around your brain, around your heart, around your will, this will lead you to destruction. Don't give safe harbor to these things. Don't do that. He's saying, but if you do, Beware. Well, I want us to define what, what exactly we're we talking about when he says bitter envy or jealousy, some of your translations say, and selfish ambition. Well, envy is a desire to have a quality, a possession, or other desirable attribute belonging to someone else. Now, the thing you need to know right off about both of these things is all about you. It's all about me. See, you have something that I really like and I want it. It's not about the fact that you have it. It's about the fact that I want it. I want that thing. I'm envious of it. I'm jealous for it. And even if I have mine, there's also a definition of jealousy that says that it's being fiercely protective or vigilant of one's rights or possessions. Again, all about me. And then, again, all about me is selfish ambition, which is defined as a desire or determination to achieve success for yourself while inconsiderate of anyone else. So I want what you have because I want it. And I want to get where I want to go because that's where I want to go. See, it's just both ways. This envy 
and selfish ambition. And they are so, so dangerous. And James is helping us understand we got to choose one way this morning. And every morning, do we choose God's way or do we choose what seems right to us? I love when James says, if you see these things in your heart, and by the way, we all have seen these in our heart, right? <laughs> we look at these and we go, oh, yep, I had that last week or I've been struggling with that yesterday or whatever the case may be. We've all had bitter envy or jealousy or selfish ambition in our lives and in our hearts. We've all harbored it at some point. But James gives this solution. He says the warning. If you see these things in your heart, here's the warning and here's what you do. Look what he says. He says, don't boast. Don't boast about it and don't deny the truth. Well, let me just give you a little piece of advice here for just about any kind of sin that arises in your life. When certain things rise up in your life, it's almost always good to go the opposite direction. <laughs> it's almost always a good thing just to go the opposite direction of whatever that sin is drawing you to. So here's what James says, don't boast. What's the opposite of boasting? If I'm proud and I'm boasting, the opposite is going to be humility. So if you see envy and jealousy in your heart, don't boast. Selfish ambition, don't boast. Instead, humble yourself. He says, don't deny the truth, right? In other words, don't lie about it. What's the opposite of lying? Confessing. If we see these things, and, and many of us this morning are going to recognize these two sins, in our hearts, what we have to do is we have to say, Lord, I want to humble myself before you, that your way is the right way, and I confess this sin before you. Go the opposite direction. Humble yourself in, and confess that you've been going the wrong way and choosing the wrong things. We have to choose. James says there's two possible paths. One brings uh, destructiveness. It brings divisiveness. It brings worthlessness. And yet this other path brings this thing that James calls a harvest of righteousness. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Did you know, and this is really important for you to, to, to think about this morning. Did you know when you go your way, when you say, oh, no, just, this is really what I want to do and this is what I'm going to, I'm, I'm choosing my thing my way. Did you really, do you really understand that's not your way? <laughs> it's important for us to get this in our hearts this morning. There are two ways, but it's not God and yours. It's God's way and Satan's way. You just think it's your way. Anything that's not God's way is Satan's way. You may think, no, 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 I'm being independent. I'm, I'm charting my own path. No. No, it's, it's Satan's way. In fact, he puts it this way in verse 15. Look with me. He says, such wisdom does not come from heaven, but it's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James gives us these contrasting kind of words. He says it's going to be an earthly thing and not heavenly. It's going to be horizontal, not vertical. What does that mean? It means that you're not concerned about anything to do with God. It's just, I'm only focused right here. I'm not focused this way. You're not concerned about what makes sense scripturally. You're only concerned about what makes sense to you in your life. Have you heard people say this? Hey, this is my truth. Heard that? I hope you find your truth. And I'm over there going, what? 
Truth is not subjective, church. It's not my truth and your truth and their truth and their truth. That's not how truth works. There is one truth, and it's the word of God. And we have to be strong about what we believe it being his truth. We don't find our truth. Hopefully we find his truth. Otherwise, we're living outside of truth. That truth has a name. His name is Jesus, right? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not subjective. It's objective. But so often we make it about us, don't we? The wise man Solomon knew that. Look here, Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man. It's going to seem right to you. But doesn't this make sense that we dot, dot, dot? But doesn't this make sense? Doesn't it only make sense? How could a God, we start rationalizing these different things. There's a way that seems right to me. But look what it says in part B. But it ends in the way of death. It may seem right to me, but it ends in death. Listen, whatever seems right to you and is not God's way, there's only one journey that, that it stops at. That's death. God gives you life, and that's why we choose his way. But if we choose any other way, any other thing other than God's way, it will lead to death. That's it. It's that simple. People who have earthly and not heavenly wisdom, they're, they're saying, listen, I'll just go with whatever the going wisdom is. I saw this on Facebook. That makes sense to me. I'll just go with that wisdom. They never consider eternity. You think about this? Do you live with eternity on your brain? Or is your life so compelled and so busy and so focused on the here and now that you can't even think about eternity? Listen, we need to live our lives as if we're going to be alive for, for eternity. So we ought to be learning and serving and trying to make a difference in someone else's life. And if I die tomorrow, whatever God chooses, that's not the end for me. That's just the beginning. Ken's life is not over. It's just begun. But if we live as if today only matters, do you see how we can begin to follow the wisdom of the world? And what matters to me right now and what's my happiness right now? Friend, it's not just about your happiness. It's not just about your medical condition. It's not just about your circumstance. God, give us eyes to see eternity, not just this moment right now. And hearts to long for you. Heavenly wisdom, not earthly wisdom. Paul talks about the difference in heavenly and earthly lifestyles in Philippians 3.18. He says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. I love that. They walk as enemies of the, uh, of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, if you're in Christ, you ought to have the, the things of Christ on your heart and on your mind. If you're not, then it makes sense that you're thinking about everything else, right? Your God is your belly. In other words, whatever I desire, whatever I'm hungry for right now, that's all that matters. Do you see how that applies in, in relationships, in careers, in everything that we do, in whatever choice we make? God, let me trust you and your eternal wisdom and your path, not my own, not this immediate, quote, need that I think I have. 
James says, when we follow the world's wisdom, it's going to be unspiritual, not spiritual, right? It's going to be unspiritual, not spiritual. Well, unspiritual people, they say things like, hey, I need to see the proof, man. I need to see proof. Why would a God care what I do or how I live? That's what unspiritual people will say. They'll say there is no God. If there is, then how could a God allow bad things happen to good people, right? It's all about what they can understand in their minds in this one moment and not seeing an eternal perspective of a holy God of the universe. It's being closed off to the reality and the power of God. And Paul again addresses this in 1 Corinthians 2, 14. Look what he says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. When Jesus saves you, he gives you his spirit. And in that, hopefully, you're growing in the mind of Christ. And so you can discern spiritualness, spirituality. You can understand things that matter in a spiritual realm, in a spiritual world. But if you don't have the spirit, you can't see it. Verse 15 says, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. People who don't understand or have a heart for Jesus, they're going to go, what are you doing? You're a bunch of idiots. Right? As their lives just continually tank. They're boasting. They're denying the truth which is what James says for us to avoid. Paul said in Jude 19, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. There's, there's earthly and heavenly. You get to choose. There's spiritual and unspiritual. But this last one is one that's even creepier. Listen, James says that we can have demonic wisdom instead of godly wisdom. That our choices, how we live, could be based on something influenced by demons. Some of you say that's just hyperbole. That's, that's, just, that's just, you're going crazy. That's just, you know, that's just too much. You remember last week we talked about the power of the tongue. And one of the things I came away from that message and that, that study with was the, the scary feeling that I could say something with my mouth. And James says that the fires of hell could set something on fire that I've said and use it for his strategy or for his work in the people that I love the most. Isn't that crazy? Words can come out of my mouth that Satan can then use against people that I love the most. And in the same way, when we follow wisdom that we think is just our wisdom or whatever we want to do and it's not God's, it's not just that. It's the devil's wisdom. It's the devil's way, and they're influenced by demonic influence. We think we're following our way, but actually we're playing into the hands and plans of the enemy. I want to give you a couple of examples this morning. Can I? Look with me at Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. It says, but the servant said to the woman, you surely won't die, right? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. 
Guess what Adam and Eve did? They bought into demonic wisdom. They heard some idea and they went, yeah, that makes sense to me too. And caused the fall of man. It's what we do all the time. What about somebody who has real strength and charisma like Peter? Let's look in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. It says, this is Jesus teaching. He says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter <laughs> took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus is saying to Peter, it's not, it may seem right unto a man, right? This may seem right to you that maybe I should just be around forever. That just makes sense. But you don't get it, Peter. God's got a greater plan. And that plan includes me dying and being resurrected for the rest of eternity, for, for every sin of all mankind. You don't understand it, but Peter bought into demonic wisdom. In the same way, you can buy into demonic wisdom, even as a believer. Even somebody who trusts Jesus and loves Jesus with all your heart, you can buy into a wisdom that is not of God. And that's exactly what we see. We have to be so careful, church. Can I just say this? Please listen. We have to be so careful with the influences in our lives. Who you read, who you're watching. There, there's so many messages and sermons online. Some are very, very good. You have to be so careful with the books you read, the influences that you allow into your life spiritually. Listen, including this one, including this one. What I mean is this, no matter what is preached from this stage in this pulpit, whether it be me or somebody else, don't trust it completely. Go to your word. Go to your word. Make sure that what is said here is of God from his word in everything that you take into your heart, into your life, to influence you spiritually. Because Satan is working, he's working overtime right now in our, in our culture, in the world, he's working overtime. Look what Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You may be thinking, man, there's just really good preacher and they've said some things that are a little off, but he really made me feel good. He said, I can do it. It's just going to be my best life. I just trust it. It's going to be awesome. And it might not exactly be true to God's word completely because God works sometimes in the deficit and in the brokenness as he also works in the richness of life. Look at verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you find disorder in every evil practice. Last week, uh, a couple of nights ago, we went, my wife and kids went to a concert. And it was a concert, one of these concerts that has all these different artists, you know. And in a concert tour where they have a bunch of different artists, they have what they call the headliners. Those are like the really important people, right? Those are the ones who've sold all the records and they've made the most money and they're, they've had the most radio hits and they're, they're the ones most people want to see the most. And so they're the ones who close the night and they have the longest set and they're the most important ones. I couldn't help, and of course that's part of my history. I couldn't help but think about these two things that James is, is explaining to us, bitter envy, jealousy, and selfish ambition as the headliners of sin. They are the headliners 
They are so important. It's so important that we recognize these in our lives. Why? Because if you harbor these things, if you begin to walk down this path with these things as the focus, look what's going to happen. You're going to begin to boast and lie. You're going to be earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And then you're going to give way to disorder in your life. That's going to be part of what happens. There's going to be disorder. And what, do we, what does the Bible say about that? 1 Corinthians 14, says, God's not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. But then he says this last thing. He says, disorder and every vile or evil practice. I think it's so interesting. James doesn't list these. He doesn't even list them. He just kind of lumps them all together. Isn't that interesting? This is how important it is that we pay attention to bitter envy in our lives, in our hearts, and selfish ambition. We gotta run from those things to God's plan, to God's path away from what we think may be best. Well, when we do that, this is what wisdom produces, James says. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. See, the world's wisdom is the devil's wisdom. It's not your independent wisdom. You're not starting something new. If it's against God, if it's away from God's wisdom and his truth, then you're following your own way, you think, but really it's the enemies. But we need to follow God's wisdom. And when we do, this is what a life of wisdom ought to look like. He says, first of all, it's pure. What does it mean to be pure? Right? It's not having ulterior motives. It's not being tainted or influenced by the world. Remember what James said in James 1.27 when he said for us to have a pure religion? He said that's, that's going to be caring for, for widows and orphans in their affliction, but also part B. Remember part B? Remaining unstained from the world. Almost like James is kind of mentioning, remember that old phrase, to be friends with the world is to be an enemy of God? Remember that? To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. Not that we can't be uh, friends in in some ways with people who are in the world because we need to do mission. (laughs) But I think what it's saying is when we begin to allow their way of life and their wisdom into our lives, we become enemies of God. And that's exactly what, what happens. We have to have purity in our lives and not be influenced by the world. We have to be peaceable. What does that mean? That means we need to love unity. We need to love unity. We need to seek harmony. Uh, you know, I think about Jesus saying, if, if you have problems with a brother, don't let the sun go down. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, take care of this immediately. See, the sun goes down every single day. But do we take it that way? Like, oh, I better take care of that today. No, we just kind of go, I need to work on that. I need to call him at some point. I need to, and then it never happens. No, Jesus says, if you have a problem, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Do it today, he's saying. You want to be a, a person of peace. He says, you'll be considerate. Some of your translations say gentle. What does that mean? It means you're going to be concerned for others. You're going to be hospitable. You're going to be kind. We have so many of you in this church that, that I think really show those gifts. And, and it's beautiful. I'm so thankful for you. You're going to be submissive and open to reason. Pastor Elvis talked about that in Roots this morning. What does it mean to be submissive? Well, sometimes we kind of shy away from that word. Oh, what does that mean, right? Here's what it means. It means you don't have to dominate a conversation. 
It means you don't have to have the last word. You don't, it just means that you can learn to listen well. Open to reason. Let's talk. Let's talk. I'd like to hear what you have to say. You don't have to dominate. Be full of mercy and good fruits. What is that? Be full of mercy. Well, it means that you're going to value forgiveness in your life so much that when people uh, sin against you, you're quick to forgive. Hey, I, I mean, God has forgiven me. I forgive you. I get it. We make mistakes. You'll be full of mercy for other people and good fruits. We talked about this recently in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are going to be the aspects of what a godly life ought to have in them. And so you're going to be a person full of forgiveness and mercy for other people, but also full of godliness. That's who you need to be if you're going to be a wise person and follow his way. You're going to be impartial. James talked about that in chapter 2, didn't he? It means you're going to love justice. You're going to want to make sure things are right. In no way do you want to uh, show favoritism to somebody or prejudice to somebody. You, you, you want to be impartial. You want to love, and I love this last one that he puts in the list, and I love that it's last. He wants us to be sincere, authentic. It's in our mission statement. Lord, we want to be authentic believers, authentic disciples. Listen, the church... The big C church is full of plenty of people that say they're disciples. They say they're believers. But what the word really means to say sincere, authentic, real, it means that we have the truth within us. So when we screw up, we go, you guess what? I screwed up. Man, I really messed this up. I'm sorry. That's real. That's the truth. To be authentic, to own that, to live from that place of sincerity. This is what a life of God's wisdom should look like. You know, he mentioned uh, the list of uh, every other sinful or evil or vile practice. It's just, you know, a long list that he doesn't even mention everything. This list is the exact opposite. <laughs> a life of wisdom is the exact opposite of those things. And then the last verse I want to touch on, it just says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I think this is so interesting because we see that James is a peacemaker, right? We don't know a whole lot about James, but we see in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council that James is the one that's kind of bringing people together. James is kind of the one that's kind of setting things right and making sure that everybody's okay and we're going to work this out together. James is peaceable. James is a peacemaker. So he's speaking from something that is dear to his own heart. He's saying, listen, peacemakers, they're the ones who, they work in peace. They live in peace. They sow in peace. They plant seeds of peace. And then what comes from those seeds? What comes from a life of peace? A harvest of righteousness, which is what? It's that list I just mentioned. A harvest of righteousness is all those things that give us godly wisdom. I like J.I. Packer. He's one of my favorite authors. He, uh, he says this. He says, not until we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, 
distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down can divine wisdom become ours. Packer's saying, listen, wisdom is knowing life is not about us. And that we often trust the wrong kind of wisdom and sometimes go down the wrong path. We have to be careful to go God's way, not our way. James has given his church this warning through this message. And this morning, church, I'm giving you the same one. I'm giving me the same one. Do you see envy and selfish ambition in your heart? I'm just asking the question. Would you think about it for a second? Would you place a mirror on your life just for a moment and say, do I see selfish or, or bitter envy is the way James puts it, or jealousy? Do I see that in my life? Do I see selfish ambition in my life? Do you see it? Is it something you're really struggling with? Can I just encourage you, if that's the case, to humble yourself and confess your need for truth? Confess that you've bought into some of the world's wisdom, some of what you want over what God has said to have, and can I encourage you to run towards God's path and his people? Run towards God's path and his people. You remember what James asked in the very first verse? He said, who's wise? Who's understanding? Who of you is wise and understanding? And he gives the definition. Let me show it. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. Friends, he's speaking to his church. He felt the need to remind church people to stop following themselves, stop following their own way, which is really the enemy's way. Because if you don't, then your way and his way will lead you to death and destruction, and God wants to give us life. Jesus said in John 10, I'm going to give you life and life more abundantly. But he also said in Luke, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself follow me would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning can I just ask you this morning if you're struggling with these headliners if you recognize these things in your heart this morning and you really want to bring them before the Lord would you I just want to pray for you would you just raise your hand and say listen I'm struggling with these things yep thanks thank you thanks I just acknowledge these things in my life and I'll just, would you pray for me, pastor? Just raise your hand if that's you. Okay, thank you. You can just put your hand up and write back down. All of us deal with it at different times and many of you are dealing with it today. Let me remind you, humble yourself. Don't boast. Don't deny the truth. Confess. This morning we're going to go into a time of prayer. And we're going to open up this altar like we do every single week. And maybe you just need to come before the Lord and you say, God, this, these are things I'm really dealing with. Because I don't see that list of all those godly things in my life. I see instead boasting and lying and disorder and destruction and sinfulness and God I don't want to be that person I want to be yours I don't want to follow my own way I don't want to follow the path of the devil God I want to follow your way which will lead me to life I want to be what that list spoke of God I want to be all those things 
want to be pure. I want to be peaceable. I want to be gentle and considerate and submissive and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. God, I just want to come before you and confess those things. Or maybe this morning you've never trusted Jesus at all to be your Savior. And so this whole time, your whole life, you've just played into the enemy's plan. Because you don't know any better. You don't know what you don't know. And so you very naturally, even as Paul spoke about, you very naturally follow your own way, your own heart. The Bible says the heart is a wicked thing. We've got to be careful when we follow our hearts. This morning, if you want to follow Jesus, he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. If that's your heart, you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior. I just want to, we don't do this every Sunday, but I, I felt led to do this this morning. If you want to trust Jesus to be your Savior this morning, and you just want me to pray for you, nobody's looking, would you just slip up your hand real quick and put it right back down? Thank you. Anybody else? I just want to trust Jesus to be my Savior. I've never fully given him my life. Anybody else? Okay. Anyone else? Okay. I'll wait just another minute. Anybody else? Just, just pray for me, Pastor. I want to trust the Lord with my life, with everything I have. I want to go his way. Anyone else? I want to pray for you and then we're going to just spend a time a little time in this altar praying and singing and if we can pray for you as a staff as pastors or if the Lord's dealing with your heart right where you are I pray that you would just spend time speaking with him humbling yourself in confession running towards his path and not your own Father God thank you for this morning Lord thank you for your loving rebuke and warning this morning to help us see in a mirror, Father, our hearts where we so easily follow down this path of bitter envy, so wanting something somebody else has or something somebody else is, God, we all struggle with it at times. And then that can lead, Lord, to selfish ambition, running over anybody, no matter what the cost, just to get where we want to be. It only matters what we want right now, my happiness right now. Lord, would you forgive us? We have to humble ourselves and trust that your way is best. That the ways that seem right to our hearts are not the way. They're the enemy's way. God, we have to see that your way is always best. Following your path is always right. So God, we submit and we confess, whether it be in this altar or in our seat. Lord, I pray that those that raise their hand that need to serve you and want, want you to be their savior, God, that they would do that today, that they would seek that out in a conversation, maybe even this morning in this altar time, that they might have peace, Lord, that they trusted you and that they know you as their Savior. Lord, we love you. We submit to you today. Help us to follow your path now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.